When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. Hello and welcome to Enlightened Empaths, your community for the spiritually awakened, where we discuss, explore, and connect with fellow empaths, healers, intuitives, and seekers. Hello empaths, we hope you're having a wonderful week. We're going to be discussing some questions and stories that many of our listeners have taken the time to send in. So please just sit back and pretend you're sitting around the virtual table with us as we share some of these questions. If you have something you want to share with us, you can always email us, enlightenedempaths at gmail.com. Denise, would you like to start us off? I would love to. Thank you. So our first one, and this is a really good question. Why do our spirit guides decide to pick us? I have four, and one is actually my great-grandmother's best friend. They've both passed away. And the second question this person has is, how can I discover if my intuitive abilities run through my familial line? I think it may be on my dad's side, but he passed away. So I, personal opinion, from what I've read and people I've talked to, I think it's a collaborative effort with our spirit guides that we decide that before we incarnate. I think that we come in with, and you and I've talked about this a lot, Samantha, we come in with one that we're more or less assigned or we've contracted with before this lifetime. And then others may join the party as our life progresses or if someone passes or they'll come in for specific incidences or or circumstances or chapters of our lives. What is your take on that? I agree. I do think it's a collaborative effort. I think we choose each other. And I think it's based on mutual interest and purposes and kind of like if if you're in school and you need to take a math class, you're not going to choose a philosophy teacher, right? You're going to choose someone who is really, really good at math. So depending on what your sole purpose is for this lifetime, you're most likely going to choose guides who have worked on that issue before, have guided others with that issue and that purpose before, and can best work with you and your energy. So I think it's a mutual thing. I agree. And I I think we were at the, maybe it was John Holland that said it, that you're not going to ask someone for advice if they were terrible with money here. You're not going to ask them for money advice when they're in spirit. I think it's the same aspect with guides. You want the person who's, or the spirit or the energy that's aligned for what you're actually going through. But, yes. But I do think there's the the main, the uh, the chairman of the board of the guides or whatever that kind of looks out over everything. I agree. Oversees it all. Yes. Yes. The second one, you know, how can I discover if my intuitive abilities run through my family line? 
um, and the person has passed away, you could talk with a medium because a lot of times that will come through in a mediumship reading if that's what you're looking for. You could uh, try to connect with that person on your own. You could like go through old family stories or go through. If, I think that this is making the, we both being mediums, we know we can connect with the people that are in spirit. And often when I'm doing, if just, just saying, if I'm doing a reading for someone and there's a family line, what I'll see is I'll see the person in spirit, put a hand on their heart and then put a hand on the heart of the person that I'm reading for. And that always means for me, we feel things the same. And that's a sign for me that, that it has come down through a, a family line. Yeah. And I think if you look at some of the research that say the Arizona University has done or the Winbridge Institute, I think a lot of that research shows this does run in familial lines. And I agree with you that talking to family members can help a lot. You know, my my mom is very psychic and always has been. And so I just assumed that's where mine came from. And when I started kind of coming out of the psychic closet a little bit more. My cousin on my dad's side sent me this huge, long Facebook message and said, did you know that Nana, my dad's mom, was called the Irish Witch of Long Island? Oh. Yeah. And she started sharing all these stories with me of how my my grandmother was super psychic. And I didn't know that because my mom and her didn't get along so well. What a shock. So I didn't know that grandmother very well. So possibly it's on both sides sometimes. Oh, I think so. I think very much so. And also it might not show up for a few generations. So if you're looking at your family line and saying, well, nobody in my family is you know, intuitive or connected, it, it can be further back. It definitely can. It doesn't have to be a direct handoff of the abilities. I agree. Connection. Okay. Our next one says, about 16 years ago, my son Sam was a toddler and he enjoyed riding in a toy push car, the kind that they sit in and the adult can push them on a walk. My older son, Josh, had just turned five years old. Both boys were playing in the driveway, but then decided to play with the push car in the garage. Before I could react, Josh pushed the car too hard. The car hit our very heavy industrial ladder and it fell towards Sam. Sam's head ended up going in between the rungs on the ladder and the top of the ladder rested on the handle of the push car. Somehow the ladder narrowly missed his head and shoulders. Sam didn't have a scratch on him. I instantly felt that there must have been a divine energy who saved him. An inch in any direction would have resulted in a severe head injury or worse. The ladder was the kind that was extremely heavy and had always been secured against the garage wall. It hadn't been used in quite a while, and we still don't know how it came out of the holder and bungee cord. Is this something that could have been Sam's guardian angel or a relative intervening from the other side? Yes, I think 100%, because this is what angels are all about. Those instantaneous moments that are not a part of our soul plan that happen out of the blue this is when we often see angels intervening. And the fact that you said, I instantly felt there must have been a divine energy. Often when angels intervene, we have that sense of knowing. You know, so so often we tend to push it down or, oh, that's just imaginative thinking. But I don't think we should do that. I think if that was your first thought, you need to trust that. And it does sound exactly like an angelic intervention. And, and what a beautiful story that he was completely safe. 
I agree. And it is amazing when that happens. Uh, one of my sons with us in a car accident years ago, rolled the car and the way the car landed was, it was almost like a big hand had picked the car up and set it in this one spot. And there's no way in hell it should have rolled into that spot and landed in that one place that it, it was just, it was bizarre. I'm very, very grateful, eternally grateful for that. But in my heart, I know there was divine intervention. I have mm-hmm. absolutely no doubt. And I think when most of us can find a time in our life where something like that has happened, but I I always make sure I say thank you. Always, always, always say thank you when that happens. Yeah, that's a really good point. It's a it's a two way street, right? They help us, but we have to return with it with a thank you. Right. Oh, that's a beautiful story. And it kind of ties in with that first question a little bit of the guides. I think that the we all have that guardian angel that is kind of saying, "All right, this might not be your most shining moment. We'll keep you safe." (laughs) That's true. Okay, our next one. I've been a longtime listener, and I really hope you can provide some much-needed insight into a spiritual gift that I have. For three or four years now, I've discovered that I can transfer my energy into another person simply by placing their hands on top of my palms or by focusing on their name or picture of them. It doesn't matter if the person is in the same city or state as I am, and as I'm able to do this across long distances as well. I've done this to friends, coworkers, acquaintances, and families. Their reactions vary from a tingling sensation behind their ears or up the back of their neck, slight shaking of their hands to a kind of warmth felt within their body. It always leaves them feeling better. I started out this energy transfer by telling the person to just breathe in through their nose and out through their mouth. I can feel if a person is blocked and I'll tell them to just breathe. And I'm always able to get through the energetic block. I never feel drained after I transfer my energy to them. I just feel happy to be able to help them in some way. Once I can tell that their body has taken what it needs, I simply draw my hands away from theirs and tell them that their body will now know what to do with the energy I've given them. I've asked other empaths and a shaman if they know what this gift is and they can't give me an answer. I've been told to look up laying of the hands and Reiki. I've had Reiki done to me earlier this year, and it's very helpful, but I'm not drawn to learn learn more about it. I can't find anything online either. I've had this gift throughout my many reincarnations, and I want to reawaken to it and help humanity if I can. No one ever taught me how to do this. I just felt an urge from spirit one day and went with it. If you can connect me with anyone else who could help me understand and further this gift, I would be forever grateful and deeply appreciative. Uh, I love the connection that this person has with the way energy comes through them. And I think this is the epitome of being the vessel and letting it come through you, not from you, which is what we're all striving for as intuitives, as mediums, as Reiki practitioners, as energy healers, as cranial, whatever it is you're doing for a modality I we we say this very very often on this show is become the vessel and let it come through you, and just the fact that they were drawn to do this without there was no they didn't sit in a class to learn this they didn't it, it feels very divinely led to use that term again. Also, I do think that if there's a lifelong connection, laying of the hands has gone back generations. It, it, there that comes up in any historical perspective. And if you look at the practices in a spiritualist church, 
that is something that they do in each service is they'll have people put their hands on someone else as a modality, as a, a way to, to do a healing. I, I guess this is weird, but I don't think there needs to be a name or an explanation because maybe that's just that you've aligned the person who did this has aligned with their own personal blueprint of energy to connect with spirit. And it doesn't have to be like someone else's. It's your your way of doing it. Yeah, that could be. But I, I understand wanting to find like a group or a teacher or sometimes it, it's helpful to have some kind of direction. And so I, I agree with you, but I understand where they're coming from. So I would also recommend they check out Barbara Brennan's Hands of Light. I think it's one of the best books on energy healing. And there is the Barbara Brennan Hands of, or I think it's called Hands of Light or School of Light, um, where you can take classes. Echo Bodine has a really good book on healing called Hands That Heal. And I think she, I know from time to time, she'll offer classes on that. So there are resources out there. If Reiki doesn't resonate with you, you could you could look into healing touch, becoming a healing touch practitioner as well. I think it's lovely to maybe check out your Unity Church and see if they have a healing circle. I know a lot of a lot of Unity Churches will offer that where you can come and either receive a healing or or pass on healing and it's all volunteer and it's just a nice way to to share your abilities. Okay, our next one says it really stuck with me when you said on a recent show, a grief shared is a grief halved. That resonated with me and definitely brought up some emotions. I will try and make this short, but I feel my question needs a little cushioning for understanding and my grief is still needed, shared, and halved. I sadly had a miscarriage in 2011 at 12 weeks gestation. The sex wasn't confirmed, but I knew it was a boy. I just knew. It was one of the most difficult experiences I've been through, but has made my love for my children on earth so much deeper. After an appointment where I was able to hear the heartbeat and see the baby on an ultrasound, a butterfly landed on my boyfriend's shirt. It just hung on. It even rode in the car home with us. I felt like it was a sign from the universe that our baby wasn't going to stay with us for very long. I've had a connection with butterflies since that day. I always think of my angel baby when I see them. I lost the baby shortly after that appointment. Jumping forward to January 3rd, 2021, I was receiving a Reiki session and saw a butterfly. I said to this butterfly, if you are my son, please come back to me. I had been trying to get pregnant for almost a year at that point, and a week later, I found out I was pregnant. I knew it was a boy. A few months later, it was confirmed. I was having a baby boy. I felt like my son came back to me. So my question is, do you think he actually came back to me? Can a soul do that? Come and not be ready, but then come back when they are? Yes, 100%. I have seen this over and over and over again, where a soul will come to a mom and something, something will be off in their timeline of their soul plan. And so it's better for them to come back at a different time. And so something I've been shown, and this is just my experience, is that souls for the first around six months, so a, a good portion of the pregnancy, are kind of in and out of their embryo. They're not 100% in that physical body. They're in and out. They're back and forth between the other side and here. And they're reviewing and going over their, their soul plan, their purpose, their challenges, their guides, 
who they're going to partner up with, who's going to be their mentors, all of that. And if anything changes for those other people and their timelines, they might need to change when they incarnate onto this earth. I've also heard from souls who have chosen miscarriage because there was too much turmoil going on in the mom or dad's life, and they thought it would be better if they came back when things were calmer. So I, I see this again and again and again, that the soul will come back. Do you see that in your readings? Yes. And everything that you just said, I, I think is wonderful. And also maybe that was part of their contract as well is to, to have that level of grief would be a very, very, very powerful experience and life lesson. And it would change you forever. And the person who wrote this said that it did change the relationship with, with the children, you know, the children that are here now. Uh, so would that be something that possibly they contracted to do together for that lesson? I mean, that sounds harsh, but not not really when you think about it. And also, I love the fact that it's a butterfly, which is about transformation. And that's a beautiful, beautiful sign to get. So yes, I do think that um, souls can come back. I agree. Uh, our next one. I had to laugh when you were telling us it's okay to keep pestering our guides. I remember when you said that. <laughs> I just had a past life regression session and I was able to meet one of my guides. He's very dry, yet makes me laugh because he does remind me of myself. When I asked him what his name is, he told me names don't really matter. So I started guessing names like in Rumpelstiltskin. Then he said, if you must call me something, call me John. So I said, okay, John, what am I supposed to be doing with my life? Well, John apparently doesn't suffer fools. He very clearly and pointedly said, you're a healer. You know that. You've always known that. So quit asking and just do it. I so appreciate his way of interacting with me. That's exactly the kind of guidance I respond to. No nonsense. No fluff. So I'm sure I'll keep pestering John, but I also, I'm also sure there will be some ethereal eye rolls happening. Thank you both for so much, so much for all that you do. See, that's that's a fun connection. That's that a is. fun guide connection. That is. And it's true. I don't think they they really do mind what we call them. We get so hung up on the names. And I don't think it really matters. Because if you think about, if it's true that these guides have lived many, many, many lifetimes, then they've had many, many, many names. So you're not going to be married to one name in particular, right? Right. So that makes sense. And the fact that, you know, she's, she or he, he, I don't, we don't have a name for this listener said, what am I supposed to be doing? And they were like, uh, you kind of already know that you've always known that. So just do it. <laughs> that is so true. That is how I, and it, cause I, I feel for guides. I really do. Don't you, that's a tough job. I don't know that I would want that gig. It's gotta be hard. <laughs> Trying to keep humans on the right path. Mm, mm, mm. Okay. Our next one says, I was hoping you could help me with a disturbing dream I had last night. It's left me feeling quite vulnerable and afraid. Before I went to sleep, I felt uneasy, like there was a presence in the room. I was having difficulty falling asleep, which is unusual for me. I've recently become a Reiki practitioner and have just started mediumship development classes at my local spiritualist church. So I know about protection. Every night I ground, cleanse, and protect myself, my children, and my home. I completed this nightly ritual, so I wasn't sure why I felt so uneasy. Also, I'm often home alone with the children as my husband works long hours, which can occasionally make me feel a bit anxious. 
but this night my husband was home and my mom was staying, so I had nothing to feel anxious about. It felt as though I went straight into the dream the moment I drifted off. I was standing talking to my sister-in-law, and she told me that the little girl poltergeist in my home brushed past her and frightened her. I was confused as I knew nothing about a ghost and asked what she meant by that when suddenly a small child-sized ghost flew quickly between us, brushing my legs as it went. I only saw the back of her as she flew off. It was wearing a long white gown. Then I turned around and I was standing outside a house, not one I recognized. The door was open to a kitchen. There were lots of flies buzzing around. I walked up the few steps into the kitchen and could see a huge number of flies congregated on a worktop. As I moved toward it, hundreds of flies started buzzing around me, preventing me from getting too close. So I turned around and left. I walked out of the house and into a bookshop or library. All the colors in the background were fairly gray and muted. The ghost was quite a bright white in comparison. The ghost was there. It had a very negative energy about it, and I was afraid. There were two adults who stood next to a shelf of books. They looked really sad. I instantly knew they were souls that needed to cross over. I was panicked and afraid due to the situation and told them to cross over to go into the light. They just looked at me as though all the life had been drained out of them and they had nothing left. I shouted at them to go into the light, told them they had to go, go now, quickly, as there wasn't much time. I saw the light behind them and they tuned into it and went into the light. Just as they left, the other ghost flew back towards me and started dragging me by my feet along the floor. I was screaming at it to stop and go into the light, that her family was waiting and she was loved. We stopped at a large window. It looked like something out of a Dickens novel. I looked over to my right and there was a large, heavy wooden door which went up into a point like a church door. At that moment, my three-year-old walked in. She was looking at me. I shouted at her to get out now. The next moment, we were both on the other side of those doors. Everything went black, and it slammed really hard in my face. The vibration of it woke me up instantly. I awoke with a start and could still feel the vibration of the door slamming. We co-sleep with our three-year-old, and I was cuddling her tight when I woke up. I know it sounds bizarre, but I genuinely felt that she had entered my dream to help me. I had fallen asleep with my back to her, and I'm very conscious of my movements during the night, as she is so little. I always know if I've turned over and pull her into a cuddle. But this time I did it without any awareness. I immediately pray to God, my guides, my angels, and loved ones on the other side to protect us and again put more protection in place. It felt like I was both in the dream and observing it, which would suggest a lucid dream. Any insight would be grateful. I had been meditating with amethyst and angelite during the day and slipped it under my pillow before bed. My daughter then wanted crystals to go to sleep, so she put her opalite and rose quartz under the pillow. I'm not sure if this would have had any impact and can't see how that would have any negative energy that would translate into my dreams. Wow, that's that's quite an experience. Given the fact, and you tell me if you agree, Denise, but given the fact that she is newly developing her mediumship and just became a Reiki practitioner. Whenever we are new onto this spiritual path, our our light becomes so bright. I always tell my students that it's like taking a 60-watt light bulb, like pretend we're all lamps and we have light bulbs at the top of our head. And imagine most of us have a 60-watt light bulb. Well, when you say yes to working with the other side, 
it's like you're given a 1000 watt light bulb. So you have this light that shines out of you like a beacon brighter than really anything else. And so, yes, you're going to attract all the good stuff and all the wonderful things that you want to do with your mediumship and Reiki abilities, but you might attract some of the not so good stuff, like some of these earthbounds. The fact that you walked into this bookshop and saw that those two adult ghosts and there was everything was gray and colorless. That's very in keeping with how ghosts often appear and how they see their world. They're kind of in that in between. They're not supposed to be there and they're not working with the light. They're not working with the dark either. They're just kind of stuck in in between. That's why they're earthbound. And so the fact that you were able to get them into the light is wonderful. This other little girl ghost I don't know. A, a part of me thinks, okay, well, it sounds like she's been stuck for a long time because some of the stuff you mentioned, I don't know, the Dickinsonian stuff makes me think Victorian times, like maybe she's been stuck for a long time and she's just angry and she had everything worked out and had acclimated to this new life and had these two adults she was hanging out with or bothering. And then you came with your bright light and messed all that up. And so she was pissed off. Maybe. But the flies buzzing and the negative energy and the anxiety, I don't know. Sometimes the really scary negative stuff can appear as childlike ghost to get our sympathy. So that could have been something more nefarious. I think you did everything right. I believe that the crystals protected you. The ones that you chose to put under your pillow are all very, very good for protection. I do agree that your three-year-old is probably a crystal child who, you know, is naturally intuitive and was able to come in here and help you. You know, it's interesting. I read somewhere, and I don't remember where, that Lord Byron had gotten interested in, in ghost hunting and, and all of that. And he used to carry an amethyst with him to attract ghosts. And now I've looked up everything you can about amethyst. I've never read anywhere that amethyst attract ghost. So I don't know. I just throw that out there because you mentioned you would put that under your pillow. Amethyst is called the all healer and it is supposed to connect us to the divine and it is supposed to be a very protective and healing energy. Anyway, I think that you are doing what you're supposed to be doing. And if this happens again, you need to set the ground rules and you need to tell your guides, I am happy to work for the light. I am happy to help cross over earthbounds if you are but say, I only want to help the the truly stuck, not the angry, not the pissed off, not the, not the super negative ones. I mean, some people want to work with that energy and, and, you know, God bless you. I don't, I, I don't want that energy. I definitely did not want that energy around me when I had little kids. And so I, I don't recommend you work with that when you have a, a three-year-old with you. What do you think, Denise? Well, so, and then the question, do you think that someone can come into a dream to help? Because that was part of her question oh, as well. Oh, 100%. I do. Do you? Yeah, I do. I do. And I, I think it's funny because during most of it, it was more, it felt like the person who wrote this was in control of what was happening, telling people to go into the light, very clear, the visual, going into the kitchen, the flies, it was all like crystal clear. And then it's seems like it switched once those people went into the light then that's when the the ghost dragged you know flew back towards this person and started dragging them by their feet along the floor they're screaming go into the light leave me alone your family's waiting for you 
And then it just went like behind that door and got dark. So I wonder if it was too much too fast, because I, I think you're spot on that there is a connection with the uh, opening to development, shining a brighter light, learning how to, uh, uh, what's the word, how to discern who you connect with and who you don't, or who you allow get closer to you. It could also be, and we, you know, some people are really drawn to the rescue type work, and maybe this was spirit given a little nudge and saying, you know, this could be a direction that you could take and, and use your your skill set as a medium. Yeah. And and I just want to say, I had that little nudge from spirit too. And I tried it, you know, and it is very rewarding work, but I told my guides no more until my kids are out of the house. I, I just think when you have little kids at home, you don't need to be bringing that energy around. Right. I, I just personally feel strongly about that. Again, just my opinion. Oh, I agree. I agree. And and especially if you have highly intuitive empathic ability, the daughter is putting her own little crystals under the pillow. Chances are there's a strong connection and light there as well. Don't um, you feel that often with these ghost stories, there's usually a stronger ghost energy that's holding other ghosts in that location, whatever that location may be? I I don't know enough about it to say, but I do know that it seems places I've gone where there's been that heavier, denser energy, it doesn't seem like it's just one energy that's there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I try not to go there. <laughs> <laughs> Before we move on to our next question, let's pause a moment to hear from our sponsor this week. We're really excited to introduce today's sponsor mylifeinabook.com. And this is a really special one for me. We don't often get to offer like a really unique, meaningful and life-changing gift to our loved ones. Most of us offer some kind of symbolic gift or material objects. And those are wonderful and great and often heartfelt, but they don't truly build a legacy for our loved ones. With mylifeinabook.com, you can give any close family member of your choice the opportunity to write their own life story for future generations. You get to learn everything about them, their biggest childhood challenge, the craziest thing they've ever done as young adults, and so much more. Mylifeinabook.com makes the whole process really easy. Your loved one will get a question of your choice every week, which you can select from a suggested list or just write your own. And all they have to do is answer it and provide a meaningful picture. At the end of one year, they're all gathered into a beautiful keepsake book, and you can order as many additional copies as you want. I've tried it with a family member, and she totally, totally loved it. Think about it. What better way to show your loved ones how much their life really means to you? And what better way to preserve their memories and life lessons for the future? To save $10 off your first purchase, use the discount code ENLIGHTENED. That's enlightened to get $10 off your initial purchase at mylifeinabook.com. And truly, when you think about it, this is a way to keep those stories alive. Because as a medium, I know that often people will ask their loved ones in spirit for the validation, for the questions, for the answers. If you had this beautiful resource and book, 
it's going to give you that much more of a connection, not only while our people are still here, but also after they pass. So again, please check out mylifeinabook.com. It's a beautiful, beautiful resource and would make a very thoughtful gift. Our next one's a little bit different. Uh, I'd love to hear perspectives with people who haven't not yet reached professional level or perhaps for those who are called to develop their abilities but aren't planning to go on with becoming professional. For example, since I was old enough to hold a toy, my parents knew that I was going to be an animal person. I have such a passion for nature that I cannot think of doing anything other than working with animals and trying to improve their lives. Simultaneously, I feel called to develop my spiritual abilities. A fire is lit within to use my gifts and help people, but I know it's not meant to be my full-time job. Have you lived a life of duality? This kind of leads into my second topic question. When I was two, I was in an incident that knocked me unconscious. It was when I had my first out-of-body experience where I went into the light and met two beautiful and lovely women. They asked me if I wanted to stay with my parents or go with them. I chose my parents. One woman smiled and said, good, you have so much more to do. Since then, I've sensed entities, had flashes of events eventually coming to pass and connect with past loved ones. Most particularly, I hear a song in my head, shepherd me, oh God, a few days prior to a family member passing. I thought it was coincidence, but it's occurred four times now. So I've surrendered to the idea that I'm my family's banshee. Not that it's a warning for an impending doom, but more of an alert that a loved one is soon to start their transition. I'm not sure what to do with this thought concept. What am I supposed to do with the knowledge of a family member about to pass? I tried to research modern day banshees, but I haven't found out much information. Do you have any understanding of historic banshees and what they've become today? I would so appreciate to hear your thoughts on this one. Okay, so for the, the beginning part, I think this is, there are so many people in the world that are so very connected. It doesn't mean you have to go and be professional with it. It really doesn't, because I feel like this person is using that in their everyday life with their connection with animals, they're developing their spirituality. It doesn't have to be what you do for a living. It's just who you are. And I think right now we're in this time frame where it's much more accessible and acceptable. And there's a lot of public interest in, you can look at the media, you can look at the TV shows, you can look at the movies. It's very, I don't want to say common, but it's much more, um, prolific in in what's going on in the world depending on where you're located obviously but the other part though about the banshees i don't know anything about banshees so i'm gonna divert that to you samantha well i don't i don't know a ton but they are (laughs) (laughs) i think it's an irish legend that every family does have this uh, it's usually a female and energy who you can hear wailing or crying and shortly after you hear the banshees wail uh a loved one will pass so i don't know anything about modern day banshees but i we have through the years heard from several listeners who can sense when a family member is about to pass and something that comes with this is often guilt and I, I think it's misplaced guilt, but I, I understand it. 
And when the listener asks, you know, what can I do about this? Well, I I would suggest that you you pray for them and you can talk to their higher self in your prayer. You could also maybe give them certain books. A book I give to a lot of people when they're going through an impending loss is Visions, Trips, and Crowded Rooms. I think it's a very comforting book about what's to come and, and how many people have these shared grief experiences. And I agree, you know, Denise, one of the main reasons why we teach the classes we teach is not so the people taking our classes can be professionals at this, but so that everyone can learn how to develop and really engage with their own intuition. Because the more we do that, the more we become aligned with who we are and and why we're here. I, I think intuition is at the heart of everything. I mean, if you look at, if you just look at the language anyone around you uses, you'll you'll hear the intuition. I had a gut feeling. I knew that was going to happen. I didn't trust that person from day one. Like you, you can hear it all the time. And I think it's so important to learn how to work with that, how to how to strengthen it, but it definitely does not mean you have to do this professionally. Right. And it sounds like, you know, when she mentioned that she went into the light and met two beautiful and lovely women. So she there is a protection. There are people looking out for her. There are spirits looking out for her, guides or angels or or you know, people previous in her family. But there was nothing in this that mentioned if her family is open to this. And I think sometimes if you have those kind of premonitions or insights is if if it's at all possible, finding a safe person to share it with so that you don't have to carry it alone. But if not, write it down or or don't don't just hold it in your heart. But it could also be if it's say, and this is just a vague example, there's an an elderly person in the family that is being sensed that their passing is coming, maybe reach out to some of the other family members, not with a sense of, oh, I heard the song, they're on their way out, but have you checked in with with, uh, so-and-so? Have you heard from? Is everything going okay? Because I I think that's a, 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 you, you said it beautifully, it's a really hard role to play. And for people who do sense impending transitions or doom or death or whatever it might be, um, please try to find someone that you can confide in or or that you have an outlet of support. Yeah, that's a, that's a great suggestion. I completely agree. Okay, this next one is one that's going to bring out the fire in me. We've got another question about some unethical practices going on. You ready? Oh, okay. All right. I had a question about a recent Reiki experience I'd love to have your insight on. I don't know much about Reiki, but I've heard positive things about it and thought it would be a lovely thing to try with my best friend. I booked an appointment for each of us this past weekend with someone trained by the Usui teachings, and my friend went first. She seemed to connect very positively with the practitioner, and I could hear them laughing and chatting afterwards. When I was beckoned into my session, the practitioner didn't say much to me, but directed me to lay on the table so we could get started. I found the lack of introduction abrupt since it was my first time and I had many questions about her background and what to expect. The session developed uneventfully, but at one point while laying on my stomach, okay, that's, I've never had anyone lay on their stomach, but whatever. All right. She slipped her hands up my shirt onto my bare skin and began massaging my back and shoulders, pressing in quite aggressively so that I winced. It lasted for a few moments, but I had not signed up for any such massage and it felt intrusive. 
Yeah, because it is. That's awful. She did some quick walking around the table in circles many times, clapped loudly once, and was swiping her hands quickly down my legs and feet, and then flicking as if she were pulling things out of me. I'm not sure if any of these antics are normal or not. Her hands were quite cool throughout, but at one point she slipped out of the room without a word and came back a minute later with very warm hands. It made me wonder what she had done outside the room. About halfway through the session, she began sighing and huffing and puffing, then broke the silence and said she needed a break. She told me, your energy is very, very low. Whew, I need to have some water. I feel so tired with you. She told me I should do a ground clear and protect meditation by visualizing roots extending from my feet and light entering the top of my head. And with this practice, my energy would improve. I found this odd because I'd been doing exactly that practice every morning for the past eight months. There were things she told me that were spot on, like my need for more confidence and to speak authentic authentically. And I do often feel tired, so it left me unsure. Okay, pause. Who doesn't need more confidence? And who doesn't need to speak more authentically? And who isn't tired right now? Right, Denise? I hate those cold reading type stuff. Exactly. <sighs> when the session was over, she told me that my energy was a little better than it had been, a slight improvement, but was still very low. And she kept repeating how tired she was. We went back to the front desk and she said to my friend, this one needs some fun. She needs to party. I am not vivacious like my friend. I am soft-spoken and very introverted. I think my energy is quite gentle because I love to bring kindness to people in a soothing and subtle way. It made me feel like I'm a drag and it seemed rude. My hot evening shower never felt so good as I washed off the icky feeling the experience gave me. I'm quite sensitive to energy, but I felt absolutely no healing from her hands. The next day, I felt completely drained and saddened, and her words, I feel so tired with you, have been ringing out through my mind ever since. I felt as though other people must feel low in my presence, and that I can't do the good things I'm here to do if my energy is so dried up, and my shoulders still ache from her squeezing. So my question to the both of you is, what do you make of this Reiki experience? Do you think any of what she said could be true? And does giving Reiki drain the practitioner? No. Okay. So first of all, if you are new to Reiki and if you're a Reiki practitioner, you should always ask the person, is this your first time? I always had a little clipboard with, with questions that they had to fill out in the waiting room so that I would know that before I even saw them. You wouldn't put someone on their stomach unless you went over the whole process. Like we're going to do a full body one hour Reiki session where you'll start out on your back halfway through. I'll ask you to turn over. You know, if, if you're just coming in for like an introduction to Reiki, you don't have to do all of that. Now, the circling thing she did and the, the flicking, that is part of Reiki, but you're not supposed to touch the person when you, you're not supposed to really ever touch the person. You can put your hands on them if you have their permission, uh, but you can also just hold your hands about, you know, uh, one to five inches over their body because you're still working in their aura. But at the end of the session, you do uh, three clockwise circles to kind of seal the energy of the Reiki you've just shared with them and you can flick off any energy, but to do it loudly and then to clap is so theatrical and unnecessary um, to, I don't think you should talk during a Reiki session. That's just my opinion. I think the person should be meditating and I think the practitioner should be also. 
to break that energy by saying all that negative stuff. Your energy is so low. I need some more. That sounds very manipulative to me and negative. I don't like it. I'm just, this whole thing makes me so upset because that's not how it should be. Reiki never drains you because with Reiki, you are just a straw. That's all you are. You are, you are a tube connecting the energy of light through you into the person you're giving Reiki. The Reiki never comes from you ever. It comes through you. And so it should never drain the practitioner's energy. And even if she was having an off day, oh, well, too bad. You should have called out lady or keep your mouth shut. You don't ever tell a person like, oh, I'm so drained or, oh, you make me so tired. I don't understand that. It makes me so mad. You know, I went to get a massage. It was like a little little gift to myself after I pulled my back. And the woman, Denise, did I ever tell you about this? It was like six months ago. I don't think so. Oh, I go in and I had I had told the person, the receptionist, please put in my notes that I don't want the massage therapist to talk because that drives me crazy. I like to meditate. If I'm ever getting any type of energy work, I don't want to talk. I don't want to know about you. I just want to meditate. And apparently she did not read the notes because she was telling me about how her ex had left her and she couldn't pay her bills and her two teenage sons were driving her crazy. And then she goes, oh my gosh, I am so sore. I can't keep, I don't, how much longer can I keep massaging people just to pay my rent? I mean, my neck. This is while she was working on you? Yes. And I said, we don't have to do the whole 45 minutes. Like I'm, I'm happy to let you finish up. And she's like, oh no, they'll fire me if I do that. And she goes, can I just sit here and on this chair and rest and just like rub your shoulders until the time's up? (gasps) Yeah. Yeah. It was awful. But this, this is, this is not good. And I don't like, I hate when you have these, I think empaths have to deal with this a lot where you walk into anything. I don't care if it's a retail store, a manicurist, a Reiki practitioner, and your extroverted friend, everyone loves her. And you're the quiet little introvert and no one notices you. That's a terrible feeling. Right. I I think there are so many red flags around this. And I know a lot of people who do Reiki. I've done Reiki. I have never, ever once, because it's that's the epitome of it coming through you, not from you is that you are completely, as you said, the straw, you're bringing through that healing energy. It's coming through you. I, when you read the part about the the person put their hands up on their, up their shirt on their bare skin, I wanted to scream, hell no, that's not acceptable. No. Um, The fact that it was uh, just the whole thing. It doesn't feel like a Reiki session. It doesn't sound like a Reiki session. And, you know, as you said, flicking off that stuff, but it almost feels like it was a combination of some other modality or maybe something to remove toxic energy or whatever it might be. But that doesn't, none of this feels like Reiki to me or sounds like Reiki to me. Uh, And the fact that the huffing, the puffing and needing a break and your energy is so low, 100% no, just hard no on that one. Because we've all worked with people and we've all been around people who drain our energy and you don't, you wouldn't say that, but it also, people have heard me say this a lot. There are a lot of hacks out there right now in any, any description you want to go into any of the the things we talk about. Um, The fact that um, 
she feels, I feel so tired. I need some water. To put that on someone is terrible. Yes. It, it's just, it's so wrong on so many levels. Um, you know, I argued with my, I loved my Reiki teacher, Annie, so much. And I, I argued with her. I was like, I don't understand why Reiki used to be so expensive or why it was so secretive. Like, I think this knowledge should be shared with everyone. La, 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 la. And she would say the reason why Reiki was so, cause she spent, I, I can't remember exactly what her Reiki one and two was. I think, I think she said in the seventies, she spent like 2,500. I do remember that her Reiki masters was $10,000 in mm-hmm. like 1980. And I, I just couldn't imagine spending that on, on anything but like a master's degree, you know, um, or a college degree. Well, those were the days, but anyway, and uh, she said the reason why it costs so much is so that we can weed out the people who are doing this for fun, or let's see what this is, or this will be interesting to dabble in. And she was saying like Reiki should be reserved for people who really will want to invest the time and and their resources into making this a part of their life. And I I never really understood that. I thought it should be shared with everyone. But reading experiences like this. I'm starting to see where Annie was coming from. And at the very beginning, you know, the person had written that someone trained by the Yusui teachings. And from and correct me if I'm wrong with this, I always thought to be to have Reiki there, they have to be able to show how they were trained through the lineage. Yes. Yes. And their their degrees should be on the walls of their office. Yes. Yes. And, and that is, again, the other part is, it's just so disrespectful to people who honor this work and do it with humility and grace and to be of service. The other thing is, whoever wrote this in, please just let this go. This had nothing to do with you. Obviously, no one else has ever said that, felt that. You're you're trying to... Uh, and. Another key thing that really jumped out at my hot evening shower never felt so good as I washed off that icky feeling. That's huge right there of when you feel that coming off of you, that person glommed onto her energetically. She wasn't bringing through healing energy. No, no, Um, I completely agree. That's probably why she felt so drained because she was trying to take her energy and. Well, I just, I, I, but if, if you're in, and I know you're, and I'm, I was racking my brain trying to think of any time that I've ever seen someone get an initial or, or rake or whenever I've had Reiki done, I don't ever remember being on my stomach ever or, or seeing that, except as you mentioned, if it was, okay, now flip over. Yeah. But yeah. I can't. And when I, was I mean, there are that, important the hand positions along the spine, the back of the head and, and the T-square at, at the base of the spine that are good for removing like ancestral or um, energy blocks from the root chakra. But usually that's for a like really thorough Reiki session. Right. So I I don't know. This whole thing is not good. And it gives Reiki a bad name. I don't like that. Okay. And just one last quick thing with that. Have you ever felt drained from doing Reiki? No, never. Oh, see, I haven't either. I have it's, felt drained doing readings. I have felt drained doing house clearings. Uh, yeah. Never, ever doing Reiki. Right. Yeah. Okay. 
we're on the same page with that too then. Yeah. Um, the next person, I just wanted to ask if you were aware of any good resources on how to take better care of my body when I'm doing energy work during the day. The fatigue is killing me for a day or two a week. I mean, my default is drink more water, um, <laughs> which is true. We do need to drink plenty of water. Um, I I think that this is that holistic mind, body, spirit thing of, of take the time, be gentle with yourself, drink enough water, eat nutritional food, make sure you're protecting yourself energetically when you're working on someone else. If you start to feel that fatigue creeping in, what what do you think? Yeah, I agree. Uh, black tourmaline is one of the best crystals for this. And so I always recommend that you keep four they don't have to be big. They can be small tumble black tourmaline underneath your massage table or, or whatever you use for your, your energy healing. But you know what I feel in this question and what I, I think happens a lot. It's not the energy work that's draining you. It's the people. <laughs> yes. Right. And so when I found that happening with uh, some of the readings I was doing, I, first of all, I started setting much better boundaries with myself. If I felt a no when someone asked for an appointment, I honored that no. If you know I had readings that started at 9 a.m. and someone insisted on also having a 9 p.m. that day, I said no. But I also started asking my guides to only send me people who were in alignment with the work I was trying to do. And that that did help. And so I, I just would recommend you consider uh, working on boundaries with all of that. Also, when I was doing uh, Reiki, we had a healing circle in our town. Um, it It's no longer uh, since COVID and all of that, but I wish it would start back up. So it's something you could consider doing in your town through meetups or a Facebook community page. We would just meet once a month and it was anyone in a healing modality. So it was Reiki, massage therapists, chiropractors, acupuncturists, anyone who was working in, in the field of healing. And we would get together and, and have coffee and tea and talk around and, you know, someone would present on what they were doing. And it was just really nice to get together with people who were in that same community. And so that can be a really lovely way to kind of boost up your energetic resources and feel connected. Well, that's beautiful. I just want to add one more little tiny thing to this is right now, a lot of people are feeling extreme fatigue. They're feeling drained. They're feeling so it may be worth paying attention to see if it if it's at certain times of the day or with certain clients or with certain places that really drain you more than others. But I think it could be environmental as well as uh, personal stuff going on. You know, that's true. Everyone I talk to is saying they're feeling really tired right now. And that's been going on for like a year and a half. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Our last one says, Samantha, you mentioned about you and your sisters helping your dad go through the life of you process and healing from his life. I'd love to hear more about how you are doing that and how we can support our loved ones on the other side in this kind of way. You both are the only ones I would ask this question to. The thought has come to me of providing therapy for souls on the other side. Do you have the experience of people on the other side actually needing and wanting to talk about and process things, not just talking to their loved ones? but with someone who can help them sort out their thoughts and feelings. I'm a medium, an empath, and a therapist, so I think I could make it work. What is both of your takes on something like this? Well, I do feel like they have significant resources on the other side for that. 
but it's not to say that they wouldn't need more help. So it definitely is something you could consider offering. I think one way we can help our loved ones on the other side when they first cross over and they're going through their life review process is through prayer. And if you know, if you're not used to praying, it's really just concentrated focused thought where you're sending good energy to that person on the other side. And so some things that you can do are like put pictures of your loved one up, put a candle in front of that photo and light it every day and just say, I intend that the light from this candle symbolizes the light in my heart and that this goes up to my loved one in heaven and helps them um, progress in a positive way on the other side. And just do that every day for at least a month. And that can do significant, beautiful work to help them feel that love and support from this side as they're working to acclimate to the other side. What do you think about helping people that way uh, on this side of the veil? So I, I think that I'm, I mean, I've read through this a couple of times because I, every time I do, I get a different hit on it, but it, I'm a big fan of, you know, evidential invalidation. So I'm trying to think, so is this just randomly connecting with someone in spirit to help them work through something that it usually the, the issue is going to be connected with something someone's working through feels like it would be connected to an earthly thing that happened and they're no longer in that realm. So would it have the same relevance? And I'm not, I'm not discounting this, this thing, because I think it's very, this plan or idea, because I think it's very fascinating, but usually wouldn't there need to be. So you had, uh, I was this, this, and this in my lifetime, it, it seems like it would be connected with a person or event that happened on this plane of existence. So by, by helping them deal with that, would you need to also have that connection with what was happening here? I, I don't know. I, I, it's something to really think about. Um, I always need that connection. Yeah. I always yeah. tell people like, you know, Elvis Presley doesn't pop up into a reading unless you knew Elvis Presley, right? Like I always need a link to that person on the other side. Do you, do you feel right. that? Right. And if we've left the, the, the trappings of, of this physical world and the, the ego and the conflict and all of the things that we had here, would those same issues still be relevant on the other side? I think they can be in the beginning stages. True. True. Very good point. And I, I think that that I, maybe that's so as an intermediary between and some people, you can connect with them right out of the gate when they pass over, or you get a strong link or other people, it takes them a long, long time to come through. And you and I have discussed, well, are they having a longer life review? Are they trying to figure things out? Are they healing? Are they in care on the other side? Whatever it may be. So maybe there is something in that that window of um, of healing and review that this person could be of service to help. It just still feels like how how would that person be able to um, get the validation? I don't know. Maybe I'm being too linear on this. No, no, I I agree with you. I think that would be hard unless you know, unless it's through someone who came to them for a reading and said, you know, I'm worried about my grandpa. I don't know. Right. Or and when we've done work as mediums and we've connected with someone in spirit who has remorse or, or uh, apologies or, 
you know, something that they wish they'd done differently or there's something that comes through, is that also a part of their life review? Mm, that's a good question. I don't know. I, I do think that <laughs> that when they're able to come through and ask for that apology, I do think that's part of their healing process. Yes. And and also my own belief is that when we're able to reach a place of forgiveness or find love in our hearts or find compassion for someone that may not have been equally as kind and compassionate and loving to us when they were here, that also helps them as well as ourselves. Yes, I agree. I agree. So I do think there's a lot we can do to help the deceased, but I I also believe strongly that they have a lot of support on the other side as well. So I think it's it's both. This I, I think the combination this person has as a medium, an empath, and a therapist, anybody can pull it off. This person certainly could. Yeah, I think a lot of therapists are empathic. Don't you? I don't think I've oh, very much met so. one who isn't. Yeah, I think that that definitely goes in hand. It would be fascinating to think about the ethics of that, though. Oh, that's true. Like a therapist who's a medium. I wonder, you'd have to. I don't know. That's interesting. True. It'd be it'd be hard to go to a therapist and you're like, you know, I, my mom died last year and I'm really dealing with some anger issues. And your therapist says, well, your mom is standing right behind you. She <laughs> said. I think that would be incredibly healing and, and amazing if you're open to it. But if you're not open to it, that could but, be hard. But what's really cool is some therapists, grief counselors, medical people are starting to recommend that folks go and talk to a medium for healing, which I think is fabulous. I love that. I I totally agree. And you know, something else this listener could look into is uh, becoming a death doula. Oh, yes. You know, and, and then this listener could work with people as they're preparing to cross over and really help them leave issues behind. Oh, that's, that sounds fantastic. Cause that, People that have reached that stage are usually have a, they're going back and forth, have a foot in both worlds, so to speak. Yes, yes, exactly. Wow, these were some fascinating questions and definitely left us with a lot to think about. And we we hope our, I don't want to say answers because that's not right. We hope our opinions um, help shed some light on these questions and at least gave you all more to think about and ponder. It's it's a wild, amazing world out there. And we're just grateful that that you take time out of your week every week to tune in and, and listen to us and share a part of your lives with us. We really appreciate it. If you've enjoyed this show, please consider sharing it with a friend or subscribing to the show and liking, commenting, and reviewing it because it really helps other people find us. Don't forget, you can check us out at Facebook at Enlightened Empaths. And once again, you can email us, enlightenedempaths at gmail. You can find out more about our work at our websites. Denise's is thegratefulmessenger.com and mine is samanthafay.com. And please remember, as always, to show up, do great work, and share your light. Take care.
Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.